Hey, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Ecosystem Podcast, where we aim to help you, the big-hearted changemaker with a bold vision to build a business that gives you butterflies and a life that makes you want to high-five yourself. How? By addressing the interconnected nature of all that you do. From marketing to mindset and everything in between, we believe your business is more ecosystem than monoculture and that when it comes to creating sustainable success, it's all connected and there is no one-size-fits-all formula. Join us for conversations that embrace nuance, elevate the importance of empathy, and address the diverse and unique strengths that enable entrepreneurs to not just make money, but to make real, lasting, positive change in a regenerative and revolutionary way. Hey there, and welcome back to the Entrepreneur's Ecosystem. Today's episode is a special one. It's a little bit of repurposing magic that I really wanted to share with you because I did this training with the founder of Journey, which has now rebranded to Lumia, the life coaching certification company. And I am currently in the sixth month of this program. And it is so incredibly rich and really life-changing. And this conversation with Noel was, I mean, just a reflection of what journey or Lumia has offered me these last six months. So I really wanted to share it with you. It's a little different because of course, this was like a back and forth sort of training that we did on the seven levers to level up your business and your life. These are the lessons from a life coach. And we go into a lot of topics. So we're talking about learning to lead, learning to coach, the art and power of asking good questions, holding space. How do you do that? What do you, what does that even mean? What is active listening? Talk about goal setting and the neurobiology behind negative feelings. A really fascinating practice called empathy mapping and a whole lot more. So a lot of ground is covered. I hope that you enjoy this and yeah, curious to hear your thoughts after you, after you listen and learn from Noel. I feel she is so wise and, and really talk to her for hours <laughs> beyond this training. But yeah, let me know. And as always. I'm grateful for you. And we'll be back to your, you know, regularly scheduled programming very soon. See you on the flip side. Thank you so much for being here. We, as you guys know, we have so much ground to cover. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things. The seven levers. This isn't like, you know, traditional webinar style where we've got a million slides. I just want it to feel like a free-flowing conversation and for it to also be an opportunity for all of you to ask questions if you want. 
yeah, let us know in the chat sort of what's coming up for you as we're going through things. I've put a bunch of questions together for Noel, but we'll have time at the end for Q&A as well. And then also we're going to talk about journey coaching certification at the very end. Not going to spend a ton of time on that, but it's an option if after this conversation you're like, whoa, I need this in my life. That's what happened to me after working with you guys on a quiz. I never, ever thought about doing a life coaching certification. Never crossed my mind. I didn't really know what it was or what it meant. But digging into that curriculum, I knew I needed to do this. Awesome. Well, and, and welcome. The space of coaching is little understood. It's kind of an idea out there in the world of like, oh, there's this thing, it exists. But the field empirically has only been around for about 35 years. So we are right on the crest of an awesome wave. Yeah. Interesting. It's so new and so diverse in terms of what what you learn about. And I'm, I'm sure every coaching program is different. So we'll talk a little bit about what makes Journey different at the end, it's a very special, special program. I am super excited, if that's not obvious. But yeah, welcome everyone who's just joining. Hi, Lacey and Jeff and Becky, Brenna and Hans and Mary. It's so great to see you all. Don't feel pressured to put your camera on if you don't want, but if you're if you're down with it, we love seeing your faces. And uh, yeah, I'd love to know if, if you guys feel like popping into the chat, what you're most excited to sort of dig into today. But while you're doing that, I'm going to mute my phone. And you've built a really impressive business over at Journey. And you're the CEO, the accidental CEO. Mm -hmm. So I'm very curious, just to start us off, like how have your skills as a coach supported you in being a leader in your company and supporting your team? Yeah. So I think one of the most important things to understand about me as we get into the context and nuance of what we're talking about today is that I have no formal business training, none whatsoever. I started out in the space of coaching around 2006 with some self-directed learning. And then I went on to engage in graduate work in the space. I accidentally founded my company while I was in the middle of my PhD for human sexuality. I was becoming a sex therapist with a focus on women and body image recovery from eating disorders and sexual trauma. And positive psychology is the space that I was using to kind of tease out, you know, how do we do that? How do we move past the clinical realm? So at that point, John and I, my business partner, we accidentally founded our company and I leapt out into the Shark Tank venture capital world of Los Angeles with a beautiful coach training company on my hands. And we were part of a $10 million grant program with Big Pharma. So my entire experience is based on what I learned in coach training and the application of applied positive psychology. 
And I have to say that coming into that space as a woman, as a young woman, I was only 36 years old when I jumped right in. And as a leader with no formal business experience, coach training and the tenets of coaching taught me everything that I needed to know. And when we look at leadership, it comes down to two important factors, vision and influence. And when we turn the dial to the lens of coaching, vision and influence have nothing to do with me as an individual and nothing to do with my own ego. It's all about taking the time to cultivate a future vision, taking the time to learn how to communicate in a way that other people can truly understand you. In coach training, we learn that future vision is something that needs to be worked with over time. It needs to be massaged and you need to really understand it for yourself from a 360 degree perspective. When we work with clients, we want to know what their whole world is going to look like when we are successful down to, you know, what are the colors on the walls? Who's in the pictures that are hanging? When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing that you see and think about? And as a leader, we need to get into those layers of intricate detail. Um, And then influence is so interesting because we are in a society that has conditioned us into this top-down, hierarchical idea of do as I say because I'm the guy, do as I say because I did the thing. And what coaching teaches us is that every single human is filled with their own layers of genius. And that I, Noelle, as a leader, as a CEO, as a coach, can't possibly know what's happening inside somebody else's world, life, mind. And that my job truly is to present the vision and then respect the genius that lives in every single person around me and allow that person to lead themselves into a bright future and to align with my vision in a way that's unique and outside of me. And I feel like it's a gift that that's the lens that I walked into this space with because it allowed me to kind of form my own radical style of leadership based on coaching and positive psychology. That's so interesting. Okay, I'm I'm taking notes because I've never heard leadership defined as like those two pillars being the most important part. I think vision for me, I really struggle with because everything, there's just so many different directions that you can go as, as a business. When you talk about vision, are you talking about like a year from now? Are you talking about 20 years from now? What do you want to create? Like on a granular level, what does that look like and feel like? Yeah. So I might, I might turn the entire idea on its head and say, what is the constant um, heart song that runs through the entire timeline of your life? And no matter what you're doing, how do you want to feel? And does that stay consistent throughout one year, throughout 20 years? What is it about your business? Is it independence? Is it creativity? Um, What are the emotional foundational pillars of what you want to experience with your one precious life. And then we build out from there. Okay, what can we achieve in a year? What can we achieve in five? What can we achieve in 20? And what might it look like? And how will we know 
when we get there. Usually that question of how will we know when we get there is based on our experience, how we feel. Right. Interesting. So from that lens of emotion, that's where it's coming from. That feels a lot easier than like, well, in five years, I want to be seven figures and, and have five employees, like way different approach. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and in five years, if we have seven figures and five employees, we might hate the way it feels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It might not be working for us. Totally. Well, it's interesting that you say that because that's been some work that I've been doing with my own business and with some of my clients and students and, and feedback that I've gotten just from people in my sphere is like, I don't want to build a business that I don't like at the end of the day. And when we unconsciously just like follow the cool strategy that this guru over here is teaching and even if it's not resonating or in alignment with our style or approach I think that we we do that we build something that doesn't actually feel how we want it to feel absolutely I you know coach as leader one of the things that I learned the hard way so when I first started out I was um I was taught and told some silly things. And these are exemplary of, of, I think, the way that the world is composed and what a lot of folks experience. I was told that because I'm soft-spoken, in order to capture people's attention, I should bang things on tables in meetings, which is like, so not me. I was told that I, um, I should wear a blazer and tapered jeans and heels to meetings, which I don't think I, I own a blazer. I, you'll find me in hoodies and trucker hats, right? Um, and so, you know, just taking that lens of the outside in of this is the box that you're supposed to fit in. This is the shape that you're supposed to take. These are the rules that you're supposed to follow. When we apply a coaching lens to it, we actually toss all that out and we build our way forward based on what is. There's a really cool framework that comes from design theory. Design theory is used by sculptures. It's used by people who um, build different pieces of tech, computers, computer programming, um, the phones that we use every day. And the idea is that we have these kind of northern stars that are our strengths, that are our values, that are the way that we like to show up in the world, you know, who we are. And when we build our way forward one day at a time, without expectation for exactly controlling, you know, that thing or, or molding myself into that box, that's when we can get to an authentic position of wielding our vision and influence. I love that. And the emotional experience that you want to create in your business, the whole foundation of your vision, is that what you're communicating to your team? And then their genius in however they believe they can help make that happen. Is that sort of the idea there? Like, here's an example. So for me, something that's really important to me as an emotional foundation of my business is just to feel a sense of, of freedom mm -hmm. in how we do things in how your business integrates with your lifestyle in all of that. And as I'm like a total noob in having a team at all, 
a year in pretty much to having some people who are, who are there and committed and excited to help me grow. I'm realizing like, okay, I want them to have the same sense of freedom Mm -hmm. that I have, like that thread needs to continue to them, but it might look differently to them. Oh yeah. And then their genius is like, okay, here's how this looks to me. And here's how I think it could apply to the business and then influence the greater world at large that we're connected to. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. So, so what you're describing is, um, is the conundrum of leadership where you have to hold a view of yourself, a view of the way others see you, uh, a view of the people that you're working with, a view of what they might be thinking and feeling and experiencing along with a concurrent view of, you know, what's happening in the world. One of the things that gets in the way for a lot of folks, and one of the reasons why we're seeing the great resignation right now, why their October is like yeah. the strikes, right? Is because it's of so this- wild. Yeah, it's so wild. It, yeah. And it, it's this reactivity to this top-down hierarchical structure of if I'm in charge, if I'm managing people, I need to be knowing what they're doing with their time. I need to be, um, time is seen as a, a commodity that if someone's not spending eight, nine hours a day at their job, they're not effective. It's this idea of, of policing people. And when we take it, toss that out, like just out as a premise and turn it around towards like, all right, so, you know, you have to live your life. I have to live my life. Each of us are responsible for liking living our lives. Like that's, you know, we're, we're mutually responsible. I have to like my life. You have to like your life. And then what do we have in the middle? You know, we have this, this product, this business, this mission, this drive, our, our values aligned. And a lot of it from a leadership perspective is seeding control and saying, you know what, like, I just had this conversation with um, a team member who happens to be on this call today and said, you know, if, if liking your life looks like you taking a morning off one day a week to go to um, a place nearby, that's really special to you to like seep into that. And it's a Tuesday morning. I don't care if you're not X, Y, Z on a Tuesday morning that I trust you to get the work done that you have in front of you. I'm excited to see what you come up with and let's find time to to sync up on that alignment of vision. Right. Yeah. Interesting. That's what I keep finding with my own team too, is like, I want to give you autonomy to Mm -hmm. do what you know you need to do in whatever way you want to do it. Yeah. But I sometimes struggle with like, okay, then where do you integrate like the guidance part of that? And it's so great that you brought up the great resignation because I'm just floored by this cultural phenomenon. If you guys aren't familiar, like there have been more people who've quit their job in the last month than ever, ever. Ever, ever in history and, um, and, and worker led strikes are starting to take place now. And so we're, we're seeing uh, coming out of the pandemic, like this just tremendous reckoning where people are, have been reevaluating what is purposeful in my life, what is purposeful in my work, who is my work for, who is my life for. Um, And what so many people saw was that 
during the pandemic, their employers didn't have their back, but they worked from home. They self-managed, they self-supervised, they took care of their kids and their families um, and their communities. And then there was this call, you know, all right, come back to the office, come back under supervision, come back to this hierarchical structure. Wait a second. Like I just supported you through this. You've done nothing for me. And clearly I'm not valued. Yeah, I think it's it's a pivotal moment in our in our culture and how we approach work and career and all of it. Yeah. So in in my shop, we don't have set hours. We we all hang, we have our stand up and everybody's in different time zones. So for me that's 12:30 in the afternoon for folks on the West Coast, that's 9:30 in the morning. We check in, um, we do gratitudes to open up the day, which has a neurobiological purpose. And we do gratitudes and you let yourself sink into positivity. You actually light up your prefrontal cortex. So that simple act of engagement allows my team to access their higher thinking capacity. And then we talk about the big three that we're going to get done that day. And that big three is pretty intentional. We're not saying, you know, what's your day look like? We're not policing. We're saying, what are are the three priorities that you're going to accomplish today? Uh, Everybody checks in with it. And then we say, okay, who needs what from anybody else? And people arrange to either like hang on the call afterwards. And that's where that guidance comes in of like, oh yeah, in order to get XYZ done, I need to talk to so-and-so. So, you know, in order to get my three things done, I need from this person and, and then people sync up and then we go on about our day. Oh, that's so cool. We've been doing, we've been doing wins on our team meetings, but I like the reframe of gratitude because there's some days where like, whether it's me or a team member will get on the call and be like, I I don't feel like I have any wins to share. It happens. <laughs> right. And of course you always do, but it's a different mindset. It is. And, 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 and I think, you know, that's so important to unpack is like, you know, what's a win some days it's like, I brushed my teeth and took a shower. I'm winning. And you know, what Jeff said from a a focused, um, a results focused approach, not an hours focused approach, you know, different tasks create different impact. So if we undo this idea that being busy, being online, being engaged equates productivity, and take a look at it and say, okay, well, you know, if you did something that was really hard, that took a lot of energy, that took a lot of time, that moved the ball down the field in a really big way, take the afternoon the fuck off. Like go like play out in the world and recharge and come back refreshed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the first time we spoke, you mentioned this idea of empathy mapping. Yeah. And I think that relates to what we're talking about. I'm curious, what does that what does that mean? Yeah, and and this ties in a lot to what we're talking about with the the Great Resignation as well, and and how the mindset of of society uh, is changing. Empathy is taking the space to consider what might be going on for someone else. And when we think about the world and how we function, think about in pre-pandemic times going into a restaurant where you'd see two people sitting across the table from each other, each on their phones, Um, thinking about how every 
ding from a text message, an email, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook gives us a hit of dopamine. We have been turned into little dopamine driven fiends that are only considering ourselves and our own validation. And so using our senses and our verbal capacity to consider others around us is an art that's being lost in our civilization. And as leaders, team members, family members, friends, lovers, parents, um, creating space to consider someone else becomes a superpower um, in this time because we're losing that capacity for connection. So when we employ empathy in business, it creates that space for listening, for sensing, for awareness. And when we empathy map, you can either do it as a solo exercise, or you could do it as a conversation. But what you're finding out really specifically is what is the other human thinking, feeling, hearing from the outside world, who around them, what are they saying and, and what are they doing? So as a rule of thumb, before I go into meetings, I typically take the time to ask those questions, even in my imagination of, of the other person, the other person in front of me so that I can kind of orient myself to the energy of that person, you know, what they might be going through. And that also serves to put you in a mental space of, of again, engaging your senses for, for the purpose of observation. We are impulsive creatures as humans. And the way that folks have been socialized is to get your own thoughts out, drive your own agenda. But when we reverse it, from a coaching perspective and really ask the question of, you know, what does the other person need? How can I, how can I serve them? The gain is incredible. Let me give you an example. So let's say somebody has really screwed something up on your team. Like just an email went out to the wrong list or, you know, something has happened that there's like a big, uh Oh, right. So the way that we have been socialized from a top-down hierarchical perspective is to, rah, what happened? How did this happen? Rah, and slam that person. That's the way a lot of people traditionally experience management. And that's why there's the great resignation right now. When we're using empathy mapping, your manager, your boss, you're in charge. What do you actually want out of that situation? Do you want to make someone feel bad or do you want to solve the problem in a constructive way so that a solution is put forth and the person walks away with their psyche intact um, and their, their emotional life intact so that they can go on with their day and still be productive. Most of the time, folks aren't considering that the down the line outcomes of bad behavior. So let's say I have a junior employee who's screwed something up. I'm going to sit there and think about that person be like, oh my God, they're going to freak out because they're talking to me. Number one, because there's a, there's a power dynamic shift there. Number two, I'm sorry and sad that whatever the bad thing was happened, but I'm more interested in solutions for how we can solve it, how we can fix it and how we can get in front of it, you know, the next time. And so just taking those two little points of consideration that the person in front of me is going to be freaked out because they're talking to me and that the person in front of me 
has the capacity to generate solutions, what do I need to do to limit that nervous system response? So I'll tell you what I do do. I send an email that says, hey, this is going to be a non-punitive meeting. You're not in trouble. We're actually just going to talk. Here is a full agenda of everything that you can expect to happen in this meeting, and we're going to stick to it so that there are no surprises for you. And what I want out of the end of this thing is for you to feel secure in your role, for you to know that you're valued, and for us to work together to figure out how to correct this thing that happened and set up systems so that we're not having conversations like this in the future. Wow. Even just hearing you say that makes me feel like a sense of relief (laughs) if I were that person, because you're in this, yeah, that power dynamic position where you could very well like lose your livelihood. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Because of a, because of a screw up and, and most of the time that's probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But every altercation where your boss jumps down your throat is a, a lessening of, of trust and security and confidence. Oh, absolutely. When I first started out in business and I was talking about these things and these concepts, I had I actually had one person tell me directly that I was doing it wrong and that's not really business. And that like, that's not, you know, why? And and it was like, why do I care? Why should I think about this? And from a really constructive perspective, nothing is going to kill the productivity of your top performer, like a heart attack. And from a very real world perspective as a society, we need to start getting in front of the way that fear is wielded uh, and the way that culture is created in ways that harms people. And what if we did open up space for life to be lived while work is being done and for people to actually be able to be people and imperfect and come together in support of a mission. It could change everything. Absolutely. How did we ever get to a place where we believe it's even possible to compartmentalize work and life? Yeah. Yeah. There's no way. There, there's, there's no way. And I, and I think that comes from you know, the guile of, of productivity. Uh, I started doing some, some research into like uh, how, like I always ask the question, well, how do we get here? And social anthropology is absolutely, you know, fascinating. And so combo of the industrial revolution and some tenants that really came to the fore when Stalin was kicking around are what created this idea of the nonstop work culture being the be all end all. Right. Assembly line days where it was that like monotonous time is money mm-hmm. way of way of operating, which is not the case anymore. No, it's not the case anymore. And and society was also segmented during that period of time. So, you know, women were largely out of the workforce. And the way that business was created in blue collar and white collar spaces was very different. And then two, looking at how that has evolved in modern times, like women, especially during the pandemic bore the brunt of uh, labor at home, childcare, you know, so on and so forth. And there's an expectation that you show up at your job, you say, I'm doing great. How are you? Um, and right. you smile and are pleasing. And um and it needs to go. 
right? And every sentence, at least every second sentence, must have an exclamation mark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. Guilty, guilty, fully. But little things like that, right? So you don't appear hostile in any way. Anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious how you would do empathy mapping with yourself. Like, having empathy for self, is that the starting point? I mean, it's so I, I obviously work really hard and I love my job. I love my work. Taking yourself into account as a participant, as an active participant in your own life is a skill that needs to be cultivated because where we are again socialized to sacrifice ourselves um, at the expense of others, and and that that idea gets magnified when you're a leader, when your existence helps other people bring home their paycheck, you know, at the end of the week, when your existence is what drives the vision forward that people believe in, um, when people are showing up every day because of of your work, right? So what I've come to is I kind of mentally think about my work life and my real life. My work life is really different from my real life. My work life is pretty fancy. Um, My real life isn't fancy at all. And one of the things that I stopped doing was working on Fridays. And my my whole team sets their own hours. Everybody's allowed to do whatever it is that they want to do with their time. And uh, so for me, that empathy came into place where I realized that I needed more life life in my week. And so just it has it has saved me in terms of the way that I function, in terms of the way that I function in my relationships and being the person to lead the charge for my own team in saying, hey, everyone, let's not work ourselves to death. At the end of the day, our business is gorgeous and we train professional coaches. Like there is no fire here. Let's enjoy our lives. That's part of the gift of being able to work on a radical feminist team is you get to set your own hours. You get to do your job. You get to have fun. You get to live your life and I'm going to do it too. Mm, Wow. That is so true. And I've never thought about it that way, but it's interesting even in this moment to just reflect on since bringing on a team and having now three full-time amazing people, I had the assumption that that would reduce the amount that I worked. (laughs) It like, I was totally wrong. I have never felt such like pressure to do more, do better, like make sure that they're taken care of and, and really show up. Like when it was just me, it was just me. And it's like, okay, well, whatever, if I'm going to do, do this or not do this, it's only me that will experience the consequences. Yeah. But that whole dynamic changed and I'm only just starting to realize why. And you just put it into words so perfectly. It's that self-sacrifice that is magnified as soon as other people are reliant on you. It, it is. And, you know, the 
it's important to consider all of the different hills that you don't want to die on, on a daily basis. You know, a great coaching question that I use often with clients is whatever it is, will this matter in a year from now? One year from now, will this thing still be a thing? If the answer is yes, okay, we probably want to pay attention to it and put some strategy to it and put some care to it. 99% of the time, the answer is no. (laughs) And, and, And that lens shifts everything. Right. But ignoring that no is going to turn it into a problem that will be a problem for a year from now. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, it has been my goal for a while to take Fridays off. I'm going to work a little harder to make that happen in order to work less hard. But that's, yeah. And the work life and real life contrast as well is so, so real. I'm yeah. sure for all of us here today, it's a different version of, of yourself in a sense. Yeah. I had this teacher in grade six. My grade six teacher taught us that every human is like a dice. And in every situation, you're going to be using a different side of your dice. You're going to be showing a different side of your yeah. dice. But really, you're like this. There's so many sides. There's so much more to you than just that one side, your work side, your uh, romantic relationship side, your parent-child relationship side. Like, there's so many sides to all of us. So giving equal time to each side to, yeah. Yeah. And, and this, what, what comes to mind for me is, um, is another coaching technique and it's, um, well, there's two that I'll bring up because they're both good ones. One of them is a balance wheel and you can Google balance wheel and you'll see a lot of different components of it, but the way it's used in coaching um, and the way it can be used with the team is everyone sits down and makes their circle and creates slices of the pie, like a pizza. And then we label all of the different aspects of our life. So whether that's our our physical home environment, whether that's our relationship with our family, maybe our parents, family of origin, relationship with friends, what's going on at work, what's going on with our creative pursuits. How about our spirituality, physical fitness, relationship with food, and then what areas are deficient, what areas are getting too much attention, what areas are getting not enough attention, and how can we reconcile as whole people. And it might feel weird at first to have conversations like that, you know, with a team, but when we give our teams permission to be whole people and for one of our team members to voice and say, you know what, I really need to have a better relationship with my own physical fitness. I'd like accountability and permission from my team to do so. Then that allows us to turn our dial to service and we get to be whole people. And then that gives somebody else permission to say, you know, I need to have a better relationship with my home environment. Um, I'd like accountability and permission to do so. And then the other idea that I think is important comes from goal setting theory. And it's the idea of lost possible selves. A lot of folks don't know that goal setting theory has an actual science to it. And from a cognitive perspective, we move through life and we have different chapters of our life. 
and we have different ideas of who we're going to be, you know, at any given time. And when that chapter ends and we don't take the time to reconcile and grieve a lost possible self, it creates this dissonance, right? Between holding too many possible outcomes instead of leaning really into like where you are now. So for me, I gave up my PhD in order to take over my company and become a CEO. I will never become a doctor. I will never finish the dissertation that I was working on, on positive psychology and body image. And I love that work. And so I needed to grieve it in order to create space for me to be who I am now. So like all the people on your team, they were doing something else before. What do they need to grieve? What do they need to let go of in order to give life to this next possible iteration? What does that next possible iteration need? What are the things that we need to, to build to create that flow? That would be such a powerful exercise. And I, I'm saying it here. I'm going to definitely do that with the whole crew because I think that's a great point. Anytime someone is saying, I'm going to work with you and help you build this thing, they're, of course, they're giving up some alternative path or version of themselves. And that's like the deepest honor. But yeah, to, to support them in holding that and seeing it, I, I think, I mean, I've never even heard of that. That's so, <laughs> it's so fascinating that that's a thing and that goal setting theory is a science. <laughs> I had a question about, about setting goals. Yeah. Like none of us here are strangers where I, I feel like we're all surrounded by like goal setting, like messages everywhere that if we, if we don't have our goals mapped out for the day, the week, the month, the year, like the moment to moment of our life, then we're somehow like not doing it right. And personally, I have been really struggling lately with this because I feel like I can barely see like three months into the future. Yeah. Jack's like a year from now, what are, what are my goals? Like, I don't know. And then if I do set a goal and I don't, it doesn't happen, which is often the case because, and this, like, I know there's some proper term for this human drive to think we're capable of doing more than we're realistically capable of doing. Mm-hmm. I have this big time. So I'll set these goals, not meet them, revisit that goal, and then feel like shame and guilt that I didn't like work hard enough to meet it. And then I'll just not set them is like the, the story. It comes full circle. It's yeah. A very un- unhealthy goal setting. <laughs> I, I mean, th- this topic is so rich and so juicy. And this is so much of what you get to in coach training, at least in the coach training that I run. And, and there are so many different directions that we can take. But, but one thing that I want to highlight that I think is really important is the societal conditioning of always be pitching, always be achieving, always be doing and, and moving way too fast from thought to solution without consideration of learning and without appropriate reflection for what am I doing and why? 
what have I learned in the past that can support me in this forward movement? Who am I now? How have I changed? What's really important? What will success look like? What will success feel like? And what are different potentialities? Like how, how we can do that, right? So when we use future vision in coaching, it's great because it allows you to dip into your imagination and really flush out for yourself, like all, all of the very cool things. We're talking about lost possible selves. There's a secondary exercise that's called, you know, best possible self. And if we let go of all of the things that we thought we were going to become, and we focus on the one thing that we might want to become, what does that look like from a 360 degree perspective, right? So like if, if somebody has a goal to become a really good painter or sketcher, and they want to take some drawing classes, you know, that's awesome. But what does your whole life look like in context? And, and what in your whole life needs to shift in order to create space for learning, for drawing, you know, and, and, and we take that future vision and we kind of work backwards in terms of consideration, not in terms of like, I must do, but in terms of like, well, what are all of the different things that need to be considered along the way? So in coaching, the, the long-term, the future vision is the main goal. And a lot of times, and one of the reasons why we attach to, well, how will you feel is because we can't predict what it'll look like. We can, we can have fun, imagine, we can ideate. We don't really know, you know, but when we get to like, how will I feel? That's something that you can kind of like hang on to with it. And then there are aspects called leveraged and sub goals, and they're different. So a leveraged goal is something that helps you get to the main goal. If your goal is to become a really great sketch artist and you've never picked up a pencil before, a leveraged goal might be picking up a pencil or signing up for a drawing class. It's something tangible. It's a marker along the way. It's an action step that we can, you know, tangibly take and it's leverage because you leverage that action against the main goal. And then sub goals are milestones. It's okay. I produced my first piece of art. I can hang it on the wall. It's a physical thing. It's worthy of celebration. Is the journey done? No, but, but it's, it's, it's kind of like a Northern star along the way. And time, figuring out, you know, what you're doing with your time, how you're manipulating time, how you're using time. And then from my view, which is feminist and anti-capitalist, we have to build in rest as well and recharging. And then again, reflection of what have we done? What have we learned? How did it feel? I just sat through my first drawing class. Huge question. Did I like it? Did I like the experience of, of drawing? And what we learn in, in coaching is to ask those questions. Because if we move from, I don't know, premise to solution right away without even considering, well, did I like it? <laughs> do I want to keep doing it? Is this for me? What did I like? What did I not like? What do I want to do next? What do I want to do tomorrow? Um, we kind of lose the sequence along the way. So well, coaching is about long-term goal accomplishment 
It's actually about all of the different moments of action and reflection, action and reflection, action and reflection that help you craft an experience Mm. versus ramrod through an experience. And we do, we live in this culture that only emphasizes action. Mm -hmm. Reflection is like an afterthought, like reflect when you're retired is sort of the cultural projection and it, expectation. It, that's messed up yeah yeah and it misses the mark I mean like that's you know coach as leader that's one of the big things that I took away was that if we don't create space for reflection we miss the nuance and the learning and we miss the opportunity to capitalize on our own growth and capitalize on the growth of the people around us. Like when you actually sit down to talk with people, your team, and you know, how was this for everyone? Like we just put on an event or we just, you know, finished a launch. Like what did we all experience? What were we each individually really good at? What do each of us want to do again? What goes on the never again list? Um, Yeah, And, and having those building conversations. Yeah, and I appreciate that aspect of goal setting where you look at how it influences all the other areas of your life. Like for me, I think last month we had our team meeting for the month. I set the the personal goal to do like three movement sessions a week, one yoga class, and didn't actually examine my life and how that would fit into it. And the fact is, in order to do that, it would require like more childcare support and no meetings at like 10 in the morning, which is probably when I get around to it. And like lots of different aspects that like I wasn't setting myself up for success at all. Because I mean, it's easy to say you want to do something but then to actually make the space to do it is that's like, it doesn't even, it doesn't even come into consideration often. Like I'll just make it happen, but it's so, that's so backwards. Yeah. It's, it's not. And so for a non-punitive approach, it's not backwards. It's just missing certain pieces of consideration. <laughs> right? So right. we don't know what we don't know. Like, uh, you know, 110 Percent And another factor in all of this is the kind of energy that is that comes from certain tasks. So certain tasks will be exhausting for you and your team because they're really um, high brain power, high output, live events, uh, critical writing, technical writing, and folks genuinely need to take a break after a very high output experience. There will be other kinds of tasks that are really fun and they actually give energy and they give flow. So to not only be considering, well, how much should I be able to get done in a day, but what are we attempting in a day? What kind of energy does each task hold and what kind of um, restoration needs to take place at the other end? Yeah, those are 
great questions to ask, and I love the non-punitive approach for self as well as others. You mentioned you were the accidental CEO, and I feel like for myself, maybe for some of us here, we are accidental coaches. So even as a service provider, I would you know, sometimes be in a place where I have to coach my clients through a problem or a mindset, like something is stopping them from implementing the work that I did. What is that? Like, how can I support them there? And so things like that come up and that's just on the service side, on the, on the actual teaching side. So anyone with like online courses, memberships, anything like that, whoa, suddenly you really are in this position of being a coach. And I have in, a, in some ways felt ill-equipped because I have no coaching knowledge or experience or, or framework. And in other ways, it's felt like this just, this just comes naturally. It's really fun. And, and like leading with curiosity and asking questions and like that just sort of happens. So I'm curious, like, is coaching something that can happen naturally? And beyond that, as a skill set, like, how can it develop beyond the maybe natural inclinations that we might have? Yeah. So coaching does happen naturally. And one of the things that we joke about within our organization is, you know, are you a person that ends up having conversations in the supermarket over broccoli? Like when there's just, you know, do you talk to people on planes, on trains? You know, are you that go-to person in your group? It's the empathy chip and it's the optimism chip. And it's a genuine curiosity about humans. One of the things that coach training undoes Uh, very importantly, is that hierarchical approach of do as I say, because folks who are really empathetic, folks who have a lot of baseline of knowledge, when you can see that someone is just not there, not getting it, and you have the vision, the impulse is to correct that person and to give advice. And the the foundation of coaching and the skill set and the sciences associated with it is you're a conduit for someone else to explore what they already know about themselves and the world and your own perspective, opinion, expertise does not come into the equation as the facilitator of that process. And from a professional perspective, um, if you're running this with teams, groups, students, whoever, especially from a liability perspective, one of the things that needs to be seriously considered is what does it mean to be a non-judgmental facilitator? What does it mean to consider that you as a human uh, have your own lens and you might not be good at understanding somebody else's intersectional identity? And so the, the importance of the training and kind of really drilling down on those two things of like, wow, what does it mean to be a conduit? What does it mean to be a non-judgmental facilitator? And then how do we do that is supported by a positive psychology, goal-setting theory, neurobiology, the sciences of neuroplasticity. And it's really cool and vast. From a natural curiosity, 
human perspective, empowering people is freaking fun. Um, believing in people is awesome. Seeing somebody's genius and telling them so, encouraging them, celebrating wins. Those are all part of the coaching process that people do in a very untrained way all the time. And so I love the science of it. I think it's the coolest stuff in the world. And I love the human composition that brings all of those other soft skills to the fore as well. Yeah. And that's a jump from like, often I'm in the position of consultant, Mm -hmm. which is, it is saying, well, based on my experience and what you've told me about your situation, here's what I'd recommend. And that's totally different from coaching. It is. It's totally different from coaching. A coaching lens, a coaching model would be to say, do I have your permission to share with you some things that I know? And then share Mm -hmm. the things that you know. And then you ask the person in front of you, based on what I've just told you, and based on what you know of your own unique life and your own unique situation, what do you think about what I've just shared? Right. What would you do with that information? Yeah. And I resonate with that approach more than, yeah, here's the, here's the prescription. Do with it as you, as you want. Like there's going to, it's going to be complex and nuanced every time. Complex and nuanced every time. Yeah. Okay. So as someone who is kind of known for the whole quiz thing, I am obviously obsessed with asking good questions and As a life coach, my understanding, and you've just said it, the goal is to guide people to discover the answers they need that already exist within them. So how can that apply to other areas of life or business? Like for me, a question that I often will ask myself is, am I making this harder than it needs to be? Yeah. Um, so questions are super fun. Um, language, uh, neuro-linguistic adaption, understanding the way that language sounds and shows up and the way that people use it is, is a huge part of coaching. And there are so many really cool tricks of the trade. Um, I'll, I'll just, I'll give a couple. So something to consider is the difference between why question mark and what question mark. So at the outset, Considering those two words with question marks, what do you observe? What feels more like subjective and why feels more emotional? Yeah. So what has an A, a deep vowel assonance? It's an easier sounding word. So it'll naturally be received by the listener um, with more openness. Why tends to be punitive cutting sharp vowel. So let's say there's... I don't know, a big mess in the middle of the floor. Why did you do this? What happened? Two totally different questions, totally different responses from the listener. So in coaching, when we lead with what questions, number one, we dismantle the nervous system and we open up more subjective capacity. With a why question, we put somebody on the defense and it tends to be a shutdown. And that's that's just, you know, one really narrow example. And, and then kind of 
leading into the idea of really slowing down and layering your approach, one of the things to keep in mind is not moving too fast towards solution, but really creating the space for someone to reflect in the middle. Because if we don't create space within a line of inquiry for reflection, we miss a lot of detail. So uh, an example, a common example is someone who is always running late. An unpracticed coach or person out there might be really striving to help that person figure out a solution for that lateness, perhaps alarms on a phone or a timer or a clock or whatever, an alarm clock that runs out of the room. But what might be more interesting is to consider the conditions that contribute to the lateness. Is it an isolated event? Are you late for one meeting consistently every week? What happens before and after? Who is that meeting with? Is lateness something that bleeds into every single aspect of your life? What is your relationship with this state? How do you feel? Is there a shame response? Is there a fear response? What's underneath it? What surrounds it? What's in it? What exists, you know, as it all rolls and taking the time to consider the whole context to help somebody take a 360 degree walk around what's really going on gives you so much data that from there you can begin to plow forward and say, okay, you know, what needs to happen in order to let you feel better about this given thing? Yeah. And the data, you, you can't get to it without asking questions, which is the same thing with the whole quiz approach or having a survey or asking questions to your audience in your emails or your social media. Like that's how you learn and are able to craft something that's going to be helpful and that's going to resonate with the, with the people who need it. Like yeah. same, same, but just like macro, micro. And I'm curious, like on the flip side of that. So of course, asking the questions is important, but listening to the response is equally, if not more important. And I, you know, like there's an art to that in just being able to like, you guys in the curriculum call it active listening. And what does that, what does that look like? And how is it different from how most of us just naturally are in a back and forth conversation? Excellent question. So active listening is a coaching technique that you should get from any good coach training program. And it is very simply listening with your, all of your senses. So again, considering humans in context, most of us are tied to our phones. Most of us have multiple things going on, 25 tabs open on our computers. How many times have you said to someone, yes, I understand without actually holding accountability for having really taken the time to understand? And so when we actively listen as a coach, we are conscious that we're going into the space of coaching and that we're a conduit for someone else's experience. And we put aside our own 
lives and we open ourselves from a truly heart-centered perspective to be receiving the words, the energy, the nuance, the emotion, the tonality in someone's voice, the affect of sarcasm, anger, despair, joy, uh, expression on their faces to feel with people deeply to truly, you know, pick up on things, pick up on cues. So even in our conversation today, um, something that I've heard you say several times is that you would like to take Fridays off, that you wanted to create more space for yoga and movement, that you are feeling more pressure from a team. And so, you know, just pulling out those threads and, and really holding the person. And then again, implying empathy saying, okay, I know of you, you have young children. I know of you, um, that management is new for you and saying, oh, okay. How, and then how does that feel for you? You know, what's going on for you? What would your life feel like? What would you feel like inside of you if those aspects were corrected and restored? And then, and just taking the time to drop down and be there. Um, utilizing our senses, sight, taste, smell, touch, the tingling of intuition. When somebody says something and you get tingles, those are all really important pieces of the coaching conversation to share with your client. I just got tingles. You know, my heart hurts. I hear you. You sound so energized right now. That's active listening because you're using your body and your human intuition that we're losing touch with, unfortunately, as a species. Yeah. Just as you were saying that, I got goosebumps like all up my arms because you like a hundred percent, we are, that presence is being, it feels like trained out of us through, yeah, like you said, like the constant dopamine hit and really fast pace and pressure to be all the things to all the people and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, active listening, you got goosebumps. What do you think that meant for you? What do you think you were personally responding to? What did your intuition tell you just then? Well, to me, like it's a sign of, of truth that I see truth in that and, and that, resonates with my worldview and my own internal reflections. And so to have that echoed from another person is like, whoa, yeah, okay. Maybe I'm not just out to lunch in my own thought bubble. Yeah. And one of the things that really comes through in coach training is how valuable those signals are from a two-way perspective. So if you are coaching me and you got tingles, the, the proper coaching response would be to say, hey, Noel. I just had a bodily reaction. Um, are you in a place to receive it? Can I share that with you? That's asking permission. If I said, yes, I just got tingles. And the reason I got tingles is because you said something that deeply aligned with my own truth and something that I recognize. What does that mean to you when I share it with you? How do you take that information that my body just came up with? Mm, right. It's that like interpersonal experience, which speaks to, for me, our interconnectedness as people. And that, like you keep saying, you're a conduit 
for the other person for like their answers to come through and that that is so essential and and has that not always been the case since like the dawn of civilization that we've had that sort of support system within our tribes or small communities where if there was something you were you know struggling with internally you could go to the village shaman or even just your auntie who lives next door yeah yes and it's it's deeper than that um human beings used to know all of the plant and animal species in their in their in their lived environments. I live in Philadelphia. I live in West Philadelphia. I don't know the kinds of grasses that surround my neighborhood. Um, Human beings used to be able to tell based on the way the wind was flowing, whether or not it might rain that day. So the, the sensory capacity goes way beyond our interpersonal communication into the way that we engage with the entire world around us and our attunement to that world around us. Uh, Whether it's the tone of voice that your child has. Um, It's the expression on your partner's face when they walk in at the end of the day and creating the space for yourself to be able to notice those things, ask questions. And then what coaching does and, and why the profession is so in demand right now is that people are struggling. Uh, they're lonely. They need community. And they need that mirror back to their humanity of someone from a truly non-judgmental stance who doesn't have an agenda beyond that human living their life to their own fullest capacity to say, I hear you. In the space of coaching, oftentimes people tell their coaches things that they've never dared to tell anyone else that they've dreamed of because it's a safe space to do so. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time to answer all my questions. I just feel, I feel like I could talk to you forever. This has been so generous and I took a whole lot of notes. I'm going to go Google some things that you mentioned. Thank you all for being here and yeah, reach out with questions if you have them until I see you in the in the program I guess Noel absolutely and for all of you who are here today thank you so much um just super appreciate your curiosity thanks everyone take care Whoa, look at you listening to the very end we are so deeply grateful for you and borderline obsessed with hearing what resonated most and how you're taking the seeds planted in these conversations and sowing them in your life and business. It would mean more than you know if you would share this episode with a friend or subscribe, rate, leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Your reviews tell the algos behind the apps that we are worth pressing play on. So please, if you're feeling generous, take two minutes to share the love. And if you are curious around what your unique advantage is in this wild and wacky online world, take the unfair advantage quiz at shantyzack.com forward slash UA quiz. And thank you again, sunshine. Go light up the world and we'll see you next time.